Hello, and welcome to Metachemistry. This is episode 41. In tonight's episode, we're going to be talking with the tournament champion from Salt Lake Showdown, Chainsaw, Tim Adair. Hello! Hello, Tim. But before we get into our discussion with you, I'd like to just highlight the fact that with just a little tradition here, a little monologue, every story needs a hero, a champion that overcomes the odds and achieves their own form of greatness. Now, not all champions wear gold medals or title belts. Sometimes it is oversized t-shirts given as swag at an event. A champion is someone who does whatever it takes within reason to achieve their goal, to be the best that they can be. Most important of all, a champion is someone who every time they fail and get knocked down, they get right back up and straight back to work, streaming digital representations of obscure tabletop miniature war games and commenting on them. You don't need to be the best in order to be a champion. You just need to become the best that you can possibly be, or at least tote the most exquisitely refined and maximized list that squeezes out every order and SWC possible. Or maybe to be called champion, you just need to run Maggie and kill lots of things. <laughs> Tonight, we talk to the champion of SLS, Chainsaw. But before we get into all of that, we want to take a moment to thank Mythic Games for sponsoring the podcast. Mo Games is an online supplier of all things Infinity. As part of its sponsorship of Metachemistry, Mo will be providing a discount code to its store available to all our patrons, as well as a $40 gift card that will be raffled off to our community once a month. Make sure to like our Facebook page and join our Discord to ensure you are entered to win. What's better than games? Mo Games. So let's check in with our lineup for our episode tonight. Our lineup consists of Ian, Chris, myself, and the, like I said, the recent champion of SLS, Tim Chainsaw Adair. Let's check in with Ian first. Uh, Ian, what's going on, my man? What's What's been going on for you with Infinity since we last talked? Oh, just kind of coming down off of uh, Salt Lake, uh, along with everyone else, uh, very excited uh this past week to play a game with chris that wasn't a tournament game and neither of us were playing the list or factions we used at salt lake because um it, it was i was a little burned out on that list so we got to have a i think a pretty fun game doing something a little different it was awesome i know it, it, you get so much in tournament prep sometimes that it's fun to branch away from that refined process and just explore a field a little bit. What were you playing? So I was playing US. Uh, you know, I was, I, I'm the resident Ariadna player. But I've been playing hard into Cosmoflot and Merovingia and Caledonia for the last probably year or so. Uh, and so with the fire team changes, bringing in some new options and stuff, I was like, oh, I want to throw down some US again. And it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, I ran kind of a a blackjack Harris, but I didn't run three blackjacks. I ran like one blackjack with uh, a, a doctor FTO and uh, Rosie to make it cheap and just kept there with that T2 sniper kind of in the back spot checking stuff. I needed to go away. And that was a ton of fun um, playing a little differently, not super salty, but then I had like the, the USARF core team with like mix of Minutemen and Marauders and the unknown Ranger, just moving up the board, kicking ass and taking names. And it was, it, it was a really cool little bit different way to play that hasn't been available before so you didn't go full kit parcel with three blackjacks in a harris no no just the one just needed the one in a harris in both lists <laughs> in both lists he did pretty good at the tournament by the way so that like props to him yeah he came in 12th those things are beasts and then you were playing chris and uh you you, you guys didn't have enough of each other after the tournament you decided to uh scrounge around chris uh you didn't get tired of ian you thought let's redo it no are you kidding me i, I wanted to get destroyed by a blackjack and i got <laughs> okay. what i wanted yeah, that's good <laughs> perfect and uh you what were you running at, uh, in your uh practice game last i week? was playing four crow oh yeah gotta throw down a valkyrie who just died immediately it was great Total immunity doesn't save it. Is that what intrigues you about Forco as uh, Valkyrie, or like what is drawing you there? 
Yeah, it's a lot of things. It's Valkyrie. It's Wild Bill. It, that's that's mostly it. They they got much better. Their fire teams improved probably the most out of a lot of factions. Like it's all like a mix and match where it used to be very limited compositions. Totally. Um, I know for me, I got to pl- watch you guys throw down because I was over at your place, Chris, playing uh, with another Chris in our meta, and I was running Shazvasti actually. So I broke free from my dabbling with Corregidor to try out something new. I actually, I gotta admit, I had a lot of fun with them. I, they had, there was a lot more decision making, interesting de- decision making to the Shazvasti than I gave them credit for, and I'm. Um, considering dabbling a little bit further so that's pretty cool but hey listen no one's here to listen to the three of us drone on they want to hear from a champion and you are a champion that's not fair yeah well uh, i'm 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 a 1.0 you're 2.0 uh we got to talk to the the current and reigning sls champion tim adair chainsaw himself what's going on man oh man i it's funny because I had been so excited to play Rama again, initially, right? But um, when the, what I got inside that random box for getting first was a limited edition Yodum. So I traded that immediately to get some Domaru. So I'm jumping into JSA. So I've been doing some crafting. You you are you've been uh, wooed by the siren song of the Japanese. I mean, I love katanas. Who doesn't love katanas? Come on. I think uh, everybody loves them until they try to play them. I mean, but I, when N4 came out, they were one of the first factions that I did a volley with. And I had a ton of fun. I think Domaru are one of the most, I think, exciting units to play with in the game. Just they have so many things happening between Berserk and having two wounds and having, like, reasonable... Uh, like, they have, like, the best melee in the game, basically. I, I have so much fun with that. It's, awesome. it's a different way to play the game, and I think that's core to a lot of how I choose my factions. I rotate a lot of factions. Yeah, you do. I want to get into that with you a little bit later in the episode. Yeah. But we were talking offline before we started recording, and I think it's just interesting that this was a big win for you because it validated a lot of the work you've been doing in the last year or two during COVID. You've gotten a lot of reps in on Tabletop Simulator as well as in person. And I think you have a unique perspective on that subject based uh, compared to the rest of the podcast. Chris is the only one really in our podcast who does much TTS. And I'm interested to explore that with you as how that refined your game as you played. But you won Krug a couple years ago uh, here in Colorado. When Rama first came out. When Rama first came out. And you're back again with Rama. And you 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 pulled it off again. So I want to run down with you real quickly, kind of how your maybe a little of your backstory and how you got into Infinity and maybe your gaming background and and more more precisely your interest in competitive play. I noticed there was a conversation on Discord about competition as as it relates to um, having fun. And you had some thoughts on that as well. So I just thought yeah. you could maybe unpack a little bit about your gaming history, your interest in Infinity, and specifically your interest in competitive play, the tournament scene. These are all topics that I uh, love to talk about. So I'm in. Let's do it. All right. All right. <laughs> so uh, lead away. Like, what's your background with gaming in uh, in general? So I've, I mean, for the first, I don't know, until I was like 24, I played mainly video games. Like I, I, when I was very young, I played a lot of chess in elementary, and that was like the club that I was a part of, other than like normal sports stuff. Um, but then as, as I got older, I played a crap ton of strategy games. I spent years playing StarCraft, like just StarCraft, <laughs> and then jumped into other like a lot of Command and Conquer stuff, and then a lot of first-person shooters. I went to a lot of LAN houses and spent a lot of my time there. And then eventually, when I got a job at PayPal. Um, one of my coworkers was playing this game called Ninth Age, which is, if you've never heard of it, it's like a derivative of Warhammer 8th edition after it died. And like that was, weirdly enough, my first entry into Wargaming, <laughs> which was a fan project of a dead game that had moved on from rank and file to 
<laughs> to what AOS is now. Hmm. And so I jumped into that and played that kind of seriously. And between then, I also spent a few years, like four years, playing pretty heavily competitive um, Magic the Gathering. I travel a lot for that. And that kind of like got my love for travel going. So um, you had some background with tabletop gaming in the card game realm with Magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, how'd you migrate over to uh, miniature wargaming? Well, in, uh, initially, it was at PayPal because I was doing call center work there. Um, I would, we would just be playing Magic while doing, while, ta- while taking calls. And it was just a member of my team who used to play Warhammer for many, many years. And Ninth Age was starting, like, they're kind of pushed to get more players. And he was just trying to get more people to join into his hobby. And I was like, well, I used to play all the, the Warhammer stuff, like, whenever there's a video game for those. I like the, the IP. I'll try it out. So I went and spent some money and bought a Lizardman army, and I attacked people with giant dinosaurs. It was great. Excellent. I mean, and by great, I mean, now that I've played other games, I don't think that game's actually that good. But but (laughs) that was how I got into it. And eventually, just spending time at the game store, what drove me eventually to Infinity was kind of another weird thing, because throughout this entire period, like everything I've described, I've had one singular D&D group which I've been blessed that everyone's stayed together mostly. And we were getting ready to play Starfinder. Because Starfinder had just come out. And we're like, well, we, we like sci-fi stuff. We'd play Pathfinder for years. Um, so we were all looking at miniatures for our Starfinder game. And I was like, the, the first model of Infinity I ever bought was the Sekbon rocket launcher. And he was going to be my soldier. I was like, I'm going to find the biggest rocket I can find. And I'm going to shoot it in, in, <laughs> in tabletop RPG. That's awesome. And I just, I love the design. I, to this day, he's still one of my favorite sculpts. But I was like, well, I mean, everyone's buying some of these models. What is this game? And it turns out uh, Tom and Kip played at my shop. So <laughs> made it pretty easy to kind of transition. That's awesome. Did you uh, know that they had a podcast that was infam- nah. Infinity Famous? Not at all. It was definitely just like I found out that they played on Mondays, which is not a day I was ever at the shop. Um, so I... I Got a small force used. I think I bought my first force was either Morats or Vanilla Hawk. Those like I, I had gotten a used lot somewhere, and um, I just started playing with like Fides and stuff. That was like the, the first army. I really I do think it's Hawkeson. And if I remember correct, you kind of uh, ascended pretty quick in the local meta. Is that true? Yeah, I have a tend to I, like. When I go into a hobby, I don't like doing it halfway. Um, like, if I get into something, it's like, all right, well, if I'm going to be here, like, let's do it, right? I, I never like being the guy who's always kind of like, if, if I recognize in a given hobby that I cannot dedicate the time to it, I'll just stop it. It's like, I, I don't want to do this halfway because I feel like if I'm going to give it my mental energy and the time to build models and paint stuff, it's like, I want this to be something that I think I can be good at. Holy. And that's not to say I don't, I'm not ready to lose. Like, I lost a lot of games. <laughs> I've lost a lot of games playing, like, Ninth Age as my first game when they had played Warhammer for literally a decade before I even entered. And I was playing with some of the better players in, in the country at that point. Okay. But, yeah. But at some point, like, the bug um, bit you, and you realized, I want to play this competitive, I'm pretty good at this thing, and I want to start doing the tournament thing. Yeah, we had a lot of, at that time, we had a number of workers that actually each had, in the Phoenix area, had, we had three metas, basically. We had the one that Tom was kind of central to, which is in, like, the southeast Phoenix metro. And then there was one that was way up north, about 45 minutes, near a store called Imperial Outpost. And um, that was actually ran by Myomer, mm-hmm. Louis Frash. He lived in Arizona for a long time, and he kicked the crowd out of me, out of me for years. Sure, uh, as yeah. as you do, right? As yeah, he's very good. Uh, and then we had uh, a third meta in Tucson, which is about two hours south of us. So all three of these metas at the time were running pretty much like monthly or semi-monthly tournaments, and we'd just drive around every other Saturday or so. So it was great to just have that such an active tournament scene before the pandemic. Mm, totally. And so you kind of started to merge as a top player. And in, in your local meta, and then I remember you came to Krug uh, and took Krug down, and Nate Inberg, uh, f- uh, formerly of Metachemistry, 
was uh, was pretty impressed with not only your level of play, but also just generally your list building. I, I know he started picking your brain about um, lists uh, himself. Like, was that, was, do you feel like the Krug a couple years ago was your coming out party or had that already happened and the, it was just the next um, step in your evolution as a tournament player? I mean, at that time, um, I had already been attending a lot of the major events, right? Like that was back when Rumble was still running and we were going to like, there was Salt Lake and Rumble and Armageddon and I was participating in all these circuits and I was starting to get more consistently in the top eight, top four, right? So I was like, I'm going to take one of these down. And then I feel like when Rama came out, it really gelled with a lot of things I like as a player. Like It, mm. it let me really abuse a lot of tools I like. I still think the Mukhtar and N3 were busted as hell. Yeah, so they weird. were. <laughs> when when Chris could just kill you, it would, and damage didn't matter. So it's like, all right, cool, Redshirt is enough, kill you. <laughs> yeah, totally. But um, the yeah, I, I think that Krug was like it. It it was. I'm a big believer in the the phrase that um, luck is opportunity meets preparation. Sure. And so I think I, unpack that a little bit because I think that's really yeah. important for people to like sit with for for a second because certainly we're playing a dice game, but there's just similar to poker, you see the same people at the top tables at the top ten at all these major events. So it's not just about luck, right? So unpack luck is uh, when when it meets preparation, right? Yeah, it is opportunity meets preparation is a phrase I heard once and I really believe that idea because the idea is that like when people when you hear people say it's like oh that's so lucky right i so many times they don't think about all the work that went into this like the person who's being lucky often is like that wasn't luck i put effort into this i put time into this and while there it's it's kind of a realization that while luck can certainly have to do with moments in a game or an overall tournament run in some cases, most of the time, the variance will swing both ways and that you should be trying to make the right plays and examine, like even when you get lucky, you should examine if that was still the right move. Mm -hmm. If you, if you made a, a move and it worked out really well afterwards, you should be like, should I have even taken that chance? Was right. that the right move? I know it worked out, but to be able to recognize that success was a mistake yep. is a is a hard, it's like a hard look inside yourself, right? It's like yeah. I know you won, that was wrong, <laughs> right? Yeah. And you hear that all the kind all the time, like when people talk about playing poker with no stakes, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, why'd you push there? When 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 people talk about like how people play when things are on the line and when things aren't, and how learning putting the time in you will eventually if, if you're dedicated about it the success will come because you'll, you'll recognize you just need to be self-reflective about what you're doing at events and how you can become better even if things are going well yeah, I feel like that's actually a skill that you can develop is separating process from the results. And you more often than not, people have to do that when it's bad results, when you have a good process. And are you able to like reflect on that was the right decision making process? It got me some bad results, but I'm not going to um, take that as a case study on whether or not the process was correct but like you highlighted i think it's even more difficult when you take a bad process and get good results and are you able to ref reflect on that as well because generally we kind of think of course the universe works in our favor like we always <laughs> like we like we remember we remember when it went bad and and that that sticks in our brain but anytime it goes good when it shouldn't have we we kind of tune that out as yeah, yeah of, of course right or, of course or or even worse, it reinforces bad habits. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Okay, so I got one more question before I pass uh, you off to Ian for some questions. But um, in recent years, after you won the Krug, leading up to the SLS, you've been doing a lot on the internet. It related to, um, you've, you've kind of got your own podcast and streaming um, show on the Dice Abide Network, where you have done a lot of 
commentating on um, online games that are taking place on TTS. And I, I'm curious how your involvement in that show has affected your game. Well, it's, it's interesting because my initial involvement was that because this entire idea of how that show is formatted was something that was made by Eric and John, who are from The Dice Abide. They, they were the ones who were initially stewarding that, and I was initially a guest. And I was like, I really like the con- the idea of, like, this is how you make TTS more watchable. I think that's the, the a lot of the problem is, is, like, I enjoy so much about, like, Magic the Gathering media. I would watch a ton of it. I'd watch streams. I'd watch the shows and stuff. But it's so hard to watch war game stuff a lot of the time. It just takes so so much time, and it's hard to parse what's happening. And then um, when I saw that format of a show, I was like, that is such a clever idea in terms of, like, how do you solve the problem of it can be really either monotonous or not interesting? It's like, oh, well, you have to separate the guy talking to you and presenting from playing. Because if you're talking about the game, you can often either make it more entertaining or make it more informative. And you're also not directly what we were talking about earlier with like you're not attached to the results. You you're you're just examining it as a sort of thought process. And it's certainly been interesting to be able to invite some very powerful players onto my show and see ways that people solve problems that's like not traditional. And and it sometimes like for me it's been kind of entertaining that I think me and the uh, the guy who won the Corvus Belly Online tournament, Lobo, me and him, I think we think so similar because I'll be watching one of his games and I'll be like, he should do this. And then he does that like we're psychic. And <laughs> it's just like, well, that's weird. Or then other times you find where it's like, we did a few weeks, like a few weeks back when we did, um, we were wanting to prep for SLS, but we didn't want to just have us playing a game because I, I believe that is worse content. So... And we talked to some of the guests, too, to be like, what do people think about this? And they're like, well, we prefer to have commentators. And that makes a ton of sense. And so we actually, what we did was we gave our lists to two other players to see how they'd play them. And, like, mine ended up in the hands of Lobo, which, like I said, we play very similarly, so it worked really well. But then Clint was like, well, we shouldn't do that again. Uh, That guy did not play at all how I would play that game. (laughs) But it was so weird to be like, you, it's that same thing people talk about with netlisting of seeing how different people approach a given list with no changes, or ha- and just having that perspective of like, I don't know. I'm I'm more of the opinion now after having seen so many games that there is no right way to play this game. Hmm. Like more and more, I've seen people succeed wildly with things that I'm like, this looks terrible. I've also seen people flounder with things that i'm like this should i thought you were gonna win (laughs) what happened here right and and there's just so many things that can happen in the course of a game of infinity that it really opens up my eyes to be like we should i should try new things and that's where i derive a lot of the enjoyment from the game Hmm. in terms of how it's like directly affected my tournament prep i mean it gives me an easy outlet because i I don't always get games on mondays because my work schedule but it's an easy way to see games without having to do the, I mean, that that's why we play TTS is that it is more convenient sometimes than meeting at the game store. Sure. Um, but I mean, I, I'm always going to prefer in, in person. It's always yeah, of course. more fun. Well, I just, I know I can only intuit the, this, but, um, cause I don't play TTS, but just the, the discipline of not only getting in real life games in once a week or whatever, but doubling that up with a, if not playing in a, a TTS game, but commenting on it, like you're doubling the the volume of the reps that you're getting, and I can't I can't help but think that that's gonna pay I off. I absolutely some... agree. With you. I mean, just familiarity with it could even just be familiar with new profiles or new strategies people are taking, right? Like I get to see a lot of very good players bring maybe lists that they were prepping for a tournament. Yeah, you get to see a variety of metas. That too. Yeah. Which, like which is if important. You, if you look at how like the the California guys play, because they get a lot of TTS games in, I think, 
the the South Carolina uh, South California meta versus like what you'll see the Europeans play, right? The Europeans are so warband heavy. It's crazy compared to like a lot of whereas the, when you go to SLS, I think I saw two people using guided missiles, but like online it's wildly different. Oh wow, yeah. Yeah, like I, I didn't face anybody the whole tournament who's using guided missiles. And when you think about one of the main complaints about a lot of people playing online right now is that they run into that sort of spam. It's like, all right, well, in normal play, you don't run into that much. And people have started to figure it out. But seeing that evolution has been interesting because there was a period of time where it's like people were trying online to solve Infinity like it was solvable. Like, no, no. Chess. Like, yeah. No. It's like, no, no, this is, this is a game with incredible nuance, and you need to read the flow of how your opponent... Like, you, there's so many things that make it such an interesting, competitive game that no other game does the same way. Yeah. Very cool. Okay, so we've uh, done a little laying the groundworks of your background and your history with get the game, and your credentials, but I'm going to throw it to Ian to talk through like getting into your prep leading up to SLS and just how that all went and just unpack the tournament itself. So for anybody tuning in, the um, SLS is the Salt Lake Showdown. It is one of the Four Corners Infinity Circuit, along with uh, Colorado Krug, Arizona Armageddon, and formerly Rumble on Route 66 in New Mexico. And uh, so it's kind of our, our big regional tournaments here. And uh, the Salt Lake Showdown is a lot of fun. It's, uh, I'll say it is my second favorite of these tournaments because I always got to rep Colorado first. Uh, but as far as fun factor, it's probably the top. Uh, it's pretty great. <laughs> they yeah. they put on a good show. Yeah, it's a fantastic event. So um, going into this, you know, we've all been to several of these major tournaments and stuff. Um, what were you doing to kind of prep for going to SLS this year? A lot of my prep when I, I'm going to a tournament is I kind of start with a core idea. It's like, what do I want to do? Because I like doing different things every time. I'm, I kind of have like army ADHD. Mm. And that has led me to play. A, I've played a lot of factions at different things. Like last Krug, I brought ISS with double cats. Uh, that was oh, that was a time and a half. I had so much fun. The, um, but and my initial thought was, I have this beautiful. I want to play Rama because they got such cool link team updates. That was my my first thought, and the second one was like, all right, well, and I think this is true of any big tournament when you take it seriously, is you need to look at what missions have stringent demands and which don't. And for SLS, there was only one, and that was you need something to kill AC2s for mind wipe. Everything else can be done by whatever generic killing like team you want to bring. But you must have one list that is acutely capable of doing mind wipe. Um, and in different, a lot of the missions that come to mind when I think of things that are more limiting would be like AC2 missions, like looting and sabotage. Or if you wanted to have something like you need to quickly get midfield for supplies to like get supplies and run. So wanting to have, you look at what are the unique, like look at a set of five missions ago, which of these have, which of these can't I just do with anything? And so that kind of led me to be like, all right, well, if there's only one being stringent, that means I can do something fun with my other list. Let's bring a Maggie. I think she's much better these days. And, so and good. she's so much better than she used to be. Putting 360 on all the profiles is mwah, chef kiss. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's like my, my, I guess, my initial thought when I go to prep for a tournament. I want to, what's the core idea I want to bring? Because mm -hmm. I, yeah, I want it to be fun. I want both of my lists, and this is more of a, something I force on myself. I like both of my lists to be meaningfully different. Like, okay. I, I, I don't bring, like, I know one of my buddies brings, like, Caledonia, and the difference between the lists is that which of the two Usha is it? That's literally the only difference he brings. <laughs> it's like, all right. That's fine. But normally I try to make sure that I'm running like different links or some sort of major theme. And in this one, it was I have my Murder Harris with the Zayadin, or I have Magariba and all the support pieces that I'm bringing with it. A zone domination mission. That's pretty great. Oh, she gets all... Yeah, yeah. Baggage on that 
on a tag that has 360 visors, so you can't get behind her. And then it being able to reload her own mind dispensers is the funniest thing in the world. Uh, so a question I have follow up on that. Um, obviously, you know, we've talked about um, mind wipe and needing to have uh, anti-material CC weapons of some type to deal with that. Uh, the other four missions were unmasking, uh, acquisition, firefight, and frontline. Um, so when you're building your lists, uh, outside of knowing you needed anti-material for the um, mind wipe mission, what are my probable pairings? Because you have two lists for five missions. It's probably a 3-2 split. Who, what missions would you pair together because they have similar objectives? In this one, I was like, well, I'm probably running... Mind Wipe and Unmasking both have very similar wants. You want to get over there after pushing buttons in the middle. And, and to kill something. So those two actually pair pretty well, especially because they both have the hacker bonus. So I, I specifically made some changes in my list to include a hacker to have an uber hacker, because previously it had no hackers. Mm -hmm. And then the other list was like, oh, I'm doing frontline. The, the last two remaining are acquisition and firefight. And the firefight was one I was like, I'm probably choosing that based on my opponent, like what I think that they're bringing. And, but acquisition, I knew that um, it was something that you wanted to get into the middle and sit on something very similar to frontline so that was the one in my head i was going to put the maggie list on and then because the the firefight doesn't have any stringent restrictions since i didn't like do anything like having zero specialists looks at camera and the, <laughs> um the i knew that i could just choose whichever of the two lists i thought would be best applicable okay well awesome um so i'm gonna pass you over to chris now uh, get some highlights from uh, your games. Yeah, so we you, you kind of went into um, a little bit on the table not working for tags. And I don't want a play-by-play -play on what happens, but I kind of want to know like some highlights. What, maybe like a lucky crit that was you know something you needed to think about a little later where you were like, oh, I shouldn't have done that, but I crit, so it was great. Or if there was anything that you're like, man, that, that really should have gone a different way, but then you made like, you, you took first place so you must have made an alternate decision that was that was good in, in most of the cases yeah it went pretty well the um i think i probably could have i guess quick side note you guys were talking about the blackjack harris because my first two rounds were both against us ariadna and that blackjack harris you described was exactly what i fought in round one <laughs> <laughs> where it was rosy 112 blackjack and carmen just like kind of tore them up but it's the kind of thing where it's like i need to in that moment, if we're talking about things I should revisit, I needed to take another look at the how everything was deployed because I think both my opponent and I missed that his unknown ranger was just visible to my Zayadins. Oof. And they would have just killed him. Who, <laughs> uh, who was your first round Logan opponent? Batty. We had a great game. That game was actually probably one of the closest ones because I, I realized at one point I was like, I don't think I can kill the unknown ranger. None of my stuff is like in the right place or like the right power level oh, to do no. it. So I'm gonna kill everything else. <laughs> so we just killed. We just stripped him of orders till he had like four dudes left. Just trying to kill everything else because that was the the Namur Harris was doing work all weekend, and then the Nahab came off the side to destroy one of the AC twos. Um, so that was kind of funny to be like we were both racing after things, but I was like I don't think he can get to my actual end one more. So my whole game plan was just kill more servers because I can't kill him because he was he killed his ends already. Hey man, going for points—that's how you win. That's how you win. The, um, Did you take uh, full ten? No, nah, I couldn't get the third one because he made all three uh, saves. <laughs> oh. So that was my last order, and that's like, all right, well, well done. The uh, in terms of funny moments, I had one against Kip on my second round where. He had walked Van Zanton, killed one of my decoys, and then like just kind of sat there, ready for later rounds. And my Nahab just showed up like literally where he had walked on, like he was following him. <laughs> like, yeah, he's like, "Hello!" He's like, "What?" And he gets gets berserked. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so that was that's fun to to berserk him because Nahabs are immune to crits and to shock. So it's like you physically can't kill me, and there's no way you're surviving a berserk from me. Nice. Yeah, that's something that Andrew does. He'll use one of his drop troops to come and protect his rear, 
when something's gone awry, much like you did. So that's cool. Yeah. And then, um, so you had a bad table for tags. What was up with that? Um, the it was Hexmill, I think. There, there were gigantic walkways and tall buildings everywhere, but like also ground level debris where it's like my tag would not have had good lines of fire on things. Sure. Beyond that, his, the one of the sides of the table was way up in. It had very elevated walkways where I'm this like. Was... Uh, table one or something, table ten or something. It was in. Sure. I'm trying to remember. I think it was Hex Mills. Yeah, and there was I also mean, nowhere to go for Maggie. Actually, technically, I measured it, Nate, and um, she could vault the lowest, the 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 walls on the lowest level, hmm. but like only because she was Maggie and not a Silla Seven. <laughs> like it was that close, and they were that tall of obstructions. But regardless, it was like I don't want to. I'm playing against ISS. You have tons of ways to get into melee with me. I don't want to do any of that. Yeah, Josh is Hexmill. Okay. The setup was not ideal, and so I was like, I think that I can get a lot more work done using the Nimmer Harris with Doctor, and like, it's also frontline, so that Harris is very good at doing objectives. Yeah, because you were talking before, you planned on using the Maggie list for frontline, but you ended up not doing that because when you approached the table, you saw otherwise. Absolutely. Like, and even when it was like not my flexed list, I was like, it's just untenable. Maggie like might have functioned, but my other list was clearly much better designed for that. I mean, it worked cool. out. So, so that's the kind of adjustment that you make on the fly, no matter what kind of. It's actually pretty similar to the game of Infinity in general, right? <clears throat> Which is, no matter what strategy you're bringing to the table or to a tournament. You still have to make some tactical decisions as you as things unfold, and sometimes you have to adjust off your strategy to be successful. So that, like, I feel like that's a illustrative of just in-game decision making as well. But you're also making that at a meta level at the tournament itself. It's important um, to keep yourself open. Yeah. So one thing that I wanted to dig in with both you and Chris is you guys played each other at top table for the final round. And I'm I'm curious from I'm actually going to ask you both a, a couple questions. Um starting with you Chris but then also you uh Tim. Chris, you uh, you had built towards um that final table. We we we've talked about this in the previous episode you playing at top table. But I'm curious what it was like for you to face off against someone of the caliber of Tim at top table and what that experience was like for you what, uh, what, were, what were the things that you noticed about how he played and how he approached the game and what it was like to compete with everything on the line that, that final game so the big the coolest thing that i can know uh seeing seeing tim play uh his list was he did a really long annoying link team where if you were to move that thing it would be bad like if he moved it it just it would be terrible. Like he, he would have to check coherency and it would just be awful, but it was just like a really long link team where a sniper was basically 16 inches away from another missile launcher. So it just had a lot of like, like board coverage, um, going into the, into the, uh, match. It was, I, I kind of, I wasn't very prepped for it as that, that one I had the least experience playing with, uh, the list and the mission. Um, so, uh, that was that. Mm-hmm. Tim, how about you? As you were kind of building towards the final table of the event, I'm assuming you had a goal that, like we all, we all approach that, that we want to win. But I'm guessing you had a sense of I want to go for the top place. How yeah. did the how did you handle like the pressure as it started to build? As you were realizing, okay, I'm one step away from taking this whole thing down. So much of it for me is when I when I look at what my mindset needs to be during a game is that I want to make sure that I don't get lax because it's the kind of thing where if I feel like I'm, I never want to be the thing where I feel like I'm winning and then I make some sort of stupid mistake. Like that, that, that is, it's something I've done in the past and it's something I fight with in my, in myself. It's like, I need to dot your I's, cross your T's, and it's try to stay on on target. Like I knew going into that last game, one of the biggest decisions I was going to have is 
do I want to bring Maggie for 360 against like walk-on troops since it's so powerful in Firefight? Or do I want to have a walk-on troop with the Nahab? And so that was the main thing I was looking at with when we got to the final table. But then after that, it was a lot of like, how do I... He's going first. How do I survive what I assume is going to be an alpha strike to kill, kill my tag? Yeah, you see why I ate real hard. Say what? Uh, covered your ass. Oh, yes. <laughs> that was definitely a lot of my thought process of like, how many ways can I cover her? Like, I gave her two sources of cover. Like, she was touching two different objects as well as the link team was watching her. And I was like, you're not getting to me. Stay away. <laughs> Mines everywhere. <It's> <laughs> yeah. Field out there. Cool. <clears throat> Ian, do you have any final questions for Tim? Um, so I <clears throat> just want to know that um, obviously you've taken down several of the major tournaments and stuff. Uh, what advice do you have for aspiring tournament players uh, coming into the competitive scene? I think that so much of... I think I had to phrase this. It's important to get reps, absolutely. Like You need to get the time in, and that's, that TTS has helped me a lot in that respect, especially given how weird the last few years have been. Most importantly, though, find the pieces you enjoy to play in whatever army it is, and just build around that. You should never feel like the, Infinity is one of the few games that I can point to and be like, whatever you want to try to make work, probably works. You just need to figure out how to do that. So find the thing that, that you enjoy and then focus and, and refine that. And you might have to give up other things. But if there's one thing you want to do, you can always make it work in some fashion with whatever army you're playing. And then you'll have cool. some more fun with it. Yeah, I, I think that's a great philosophy. Um, I've always been a big proponent that there's no bad models or profiles in Infinity. You just have to learn how to use it. I agree. There's maybe <laughs> some French ones, but other than that. <laughs> 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 they did them dirty. They deserve better. Ian's about to like, faint over here. <laughs> they they just need to update those fire teams better. I love the French. I owned them once, but like, god damn. <laughs> Like, I just think of Ian going, how dare he? Sacre <laughs> <laughs> bleu. Uh, Chris, do you have any follow-up? Any other questions for Tim that you wanted to pick his brain about? You know, just if you can get in this to, a, a, like, a high level kind of real quick. Um, you, so you won both of these major tournaments with uh, this, this with Rava, right? Mm -hmm. And... Now you've played. You, you say that you're you got a bit of faction ADD, uh, which I feel that. Um, but you've had the best success with Rama. Do you think that Rama just kind of fits closest to your kind of like gaming philosophy and how you play, or what, was it just like matter of uh, the time of day? I think that I, I do think that they play into a lot of my sensibilities in terms of how I like to. Um, make my armies i don't play a lot of like shell game camo spam right yeah. i don't do a lot of that kind of thing a lot of the arms i've enjoyed the most have been straightforward and i'll normally have like maybe one trick in my in my back pocket but like this whole tournament i, I play with one model that started off the board and i really like factions that let me be fast mobile and give tactical decisions despite not having infiltration or parachutist like if yeah. I if I'm not ha getting to start close to you already, and Rama does that real well between a lot of their powerful pieces being very fast, like Carmen is a monster, or um, just the whole might like I had that the Harris who all moves six two, with like climbing plus skills, or they have super jump on, on the Quaraj and Tariq, or they now have Maggie that. that walks over things. Now unpack to that. Why is six two that much big of a difference between six two and four four? So. Moving six is it affects every engagement you do and every skill you take. Almost there are times, yeah, it, like being able to move six, it lets you take engagements and back up in case things go poorly. It lets you cautious move six inches. It gives you so much mobility, despite not starting it like further up. 
although Mukhtar get to because they're they're great. The um the you can get to places where you want to take gunfights faster, and it allows you with like link teams that move at that speed. Maybe you're taking a gunfight with one guy, and the other two are maneuvering around him, out of line of fire. Like I've done that a lot of times. The Mukhtar will be firing his Red Fury and backing away from the wall that he's firing, while the other two members run into a building to go start board clearing. So it lets me have incredible order efficiency, but it also doesn't require that I play gotcha games. I I could just like I have good stats and I'm kind of resilient and I'm not hackable. Let's party. So you think that you kind of think that um, players can jive with a certain playstyle of a faction more yeah. so than another enough to succeed. Like I love Invincibles for the same reason, or I love ASS cool. for the same reason. I like being fast and aggressive. And my, that, that's been my brand, is aggressive, take your SWC, shoot them until they die. That's I tell all my local meta players to play that way, because that's how I think Infinity is, is the most fun. And maximize orders. And maximize orders. I have 18 <laughs> orders in both lists. <laughs> so many orders. Um, okay, if, if, this wouldn't be meta chemistry if we didn't ask you to step back and analyze the meta at large. So final thoughts for you. As we kind of wrap things up, when you look at the state of play with Infinity, what are you seeing? What Analyze the meta for us. I think the fire team change is one of the best things they've done in a long time. I think that you're going to see people going out of their way to go to those pure teams because they can't let go of those bonuses. <laughs> um, I thought I saw something Chris did today that I thought was I had not even considered where he just ran a four-man because it's mixed already. And that's fine. You don't need the one BS. You could run a... Like, if you're running a mixed fire team, you should consider just having four of them and using those points elsewhere. Um, Follow-up to that, I think one of the biggest changes that we're going to see start to become more prevalent, um, Line Trooper Harris's is a wild change in power level for a lot of... Yeah. Uh, for a lot of factions. I used seven Ghulams in one of my lists, and it felt great, which is wild to me. I mean, Ghulams are exceptional because shotguns, but like the the fact that uh, that line trooper Harris's are now a thing for tons of factions means you can take these. You were never getting the BS bonuses on them anyway. You just want the burst bonus, and you you can now take these powerful wild cards with like a paramedic and a hacker, and what a good Harris that is. And you're going to see that more and more prevalent. And I think that's that's a lot of fun. And then tags are good. And tags are great. <laughs> Take tags. God, I was just in a discussion where people were just ragging on the Guija. I'm like, what's wrong with the Guija? He does everything you want. He uh, got super jump. He got super jump. He's a mar- he has martial arts now. He's he does all the things you want just because he costs a few more points. You get you so th- many nice things. Do you think they overshot it with tags? I'm just curious. Like with all the extra bonus, like it felt like they were like raising the temperature on the frog in the saucepan over the last <laughs> few years. Where well, like they just they no. I think that they're appropriate because at the same time when they raised tags and they made armor better. They also implemented a ton of extra AP. There were a ton of AP Spitfires that were not in the game. Yeah. There were a ton of AP weapons, like multi-marksmen, you're seeing a huge prevalence of them. Um, guided. Yeah, you talk about guide, guided is now more prevalent than it's ever been. Good way to kill a tag, really. So I actually don't think they overshot it, and I think that's fun. I'm, yeah. I'm so happy to see the giant yes. robots on the table, and they're awesome. Same. They're beautiful. They're some of the best models Corvus Valley puts out, and people should run them and enjoy them. Totally. Okay, so we're going to get to our final thoughts here. But before we do that, we want to remind you of Patreon. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron. Not only does it help us out, but it grants you a number of benefits, such as extra content. So 100% of that funds goes back right back into the podcast. We're starting to think about some other ways we can expand our content development through those funds and we're excited to unveil those in the coming weeks here but find a link to our patreon page in the show notes as well as you can find a link to our discord channel and speaking of discord you can come join our growing community super supportive of everything infinity you can chat with all the podcast hosts and and you can also you're likely to interact with chainsaw himself on our discord it's true I do hang it's out true. 
he he does hang, and he's a, he's in a lot of discords though. Well, well, like he's he's I need help. He's not exclusive. Slut. <laughs> With that Discord said, Discord shaming. Yeah, Discord shaming. With Does that it. said, uh, Chris, Ian, what are your final thoughts? We'll go. We'll start with Chris, then we'll go Ian, and then Tim. I think Tim has a lot had a lot to uh, to say here, and it should all you know, like interviewing these tournament winners. Take it to heart. Look and see what they say. You find that uh, uh, that unit that you like, and try to build a list around it. And then you'll not only like eventually you'll you'll be able to play that model you like, but you'll also be good with it probably maybe. Very cool, Ian. How about your final thoughts, my man? Uh, so I, I think that yeah, there was a lot of good stuff um, here, especially on like the the mindset and the philosophy of going to the tournaments. Uh, you know, playing what you like, figuring out how to make it work. Uh, you know, breaking down your lists as far as you know mission requirements and things like that it's in it, ultimately it just comes down to practice get your reps in whether that's in person or tts it's all these things are important to help you develop your infinity skills cool cool <laughs> tim do you have any final thoughts i am only more convinced with every event i go to that the infinity community is the most fun I've had traveling in my life. So yes. if you are listening and you've been on the ropes about going to dire states, don't worry about if you do, if you do well or poorly. It doesn't matter. You're going to have a great time. You'll learn a lot. And it's worth the trip. It's worth the money. So much. Totally. For my final thoughts, I'm just questioning that whether the, the validity of knowing your opponent's list beforehand before when you face off with them in the third round of a tournament, especially when they're on their own ascendancy, uh, coming out of nowhere to potentially win a tournament. But my question is, did you actually ever physically touch Nathan Berg in your game three match? Was he, are you, can you guarantee he was physically present at that event? He was not uh, physically present at my game three, I promise. Yes, that's what I think too. Force, oh, force, force I mean, projection. I would like. I would like to clarify. We play round four. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was me. <laughs> okay. On behalf of the podcast, this has been Andrew, Ian, Chris, and Tim. And please come check out Tabletop Throwdowns on Sunday on the Dice Abide. You and say. You gotta say, and that's the meta. I don't know these things, and that's the meta, my friends.